Welcome to Safety Spectrum, your environmental health and safety connection. This program is a presentation of the Michigan Safety Conference. For almost a century, the annual conference has provided credible educational opportunities and valuable support to the safety and health practitioner by offering 120 instructional programs, along with exhibits highlighting the latest in safety equipment, instrumentation, and demonstrations. To learn more about the conference, please find us at MICH, M-I-C-H, safetyconference.org. Welcome to Safety Spectrum. I'm your host, Sheila Ide. This program is sponsored by the Michigan Safety Conference, and our topic today is navigating the regulations, heat stress. You know, I don't have to remind everyone that we're experiencing increasingly exotic summers. In other words, maybe it's hot out there. What does that mean to the workers exposed, and how can we protect them? Our guest today will discuss the regulations and areas of concern. My guest, Laura Brody, is currently a Senior Content Specialist for Business and Learning Resources, BLR, Environmental Health and Safety Publications, a division of Simplify Compliance. Her focus is environmental issues such as air and water permitting, as well as safety topics including chemical hazards and heat and cold stress. Laura previously served as a safety manager for the City of Philadelphia and as an environmental compliance manager for a building installation manufacturing company. She received her BA in Environmental Studies from Ursinus College and a Master of Environmental Studies degree in Environmental Health from the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining me today on Safety Spectrum, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and why? No. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I am currently a senior EHS content specialist for Business and Learning Resources, or BLR. EHS publications. Um, so that requires me to stay on top of new and ever-changing EHS regulations that are adopted both on the federal and the state level um, so that I can interpret those regulations and provide guidance to our subscribers. Um, so basically I help edit and create guidance documents, training, um, many different forms of resources for employers to use to help stay in compliance with various OSHA and EPA um, and state level regulations. So you read, you read regulies, <laughs> you, you wade through it. So the rest of us could kind of get a little better understanding of what's being put out there, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some of these regulations are difficult to interpret and there's, you know, references to other regulations within the text of one regulation. So that can become really cumbersome for employers to try to wade through all of that. Absolutely. Figure out what they actually need to do. So yeah, that's part of my job is to simplify that for everyone. And of course, as you know, half the states are OSHA and half the states are have a state plan. So uh, right. sometimes you have to look at a little bit of differences between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got to keep on an eye on what's changing in the states that have state plans and what various topics they have their own specific regulations on, you know, chemical hazards, electrical safety, anything like that. Um, so, yeah. Yep, and we have to accept what the feds put out there. We've been Michigan, Michiganized for a while, but we have had to come more in compliance with how federal wrote the standards. So, but we still have input, so that's good. Uh, what is heat stress, and why is it such a hot topic in EHS right now? Unintended, right? Yeah. Um, so, heat stress is a general term used to describe what happens when the body struggles to cool itself down as a result of exposure to high temperatures um, and humidity. So employees who are exposed to extreme heat and humidity, um, those who work in hot conditions for prolonged periods of time are the ones really at risk of developing what we call heat stress. 
and heat stress is a general term, but it encompasses and causes a variety of specific illnesses like heat rash, heat cramps, um, heat syncope, which is fainting, um, heat exhaustion, and the most serious of all, which is heat stroke. Um, heat stress can even increase a person's risk of injury on the job by impairing cognitive function and the ability to focus on the task, making something like a slip and a fall off of a ladder, say, more likely to happen. Um, heat stress is a hot topic at the moment, in part because of you know, the summer season, um, but also because record-breaking heat in the U.S. in recent years has endangered millions of workers, um, and the inadequacy of our existing federal regulations in combating workplace, workplace heat hazards has spurred action from both OSHA and some state agencies um, to protect workers from the heat. So with new and impending reg uh, regulations and requirements pertaining to heat illness prevention, employers need to know what to do to stay in compliance and to keep their employees safe. Yeah, when I was going to college, one of my jobs was working in an oven fresh bakery in Grand Rapids and in the middle of summer. So you can imagine working around those hot ovens and all that. And uh, fortunately, they had break rooms that are air conditioned, but that doesn't help when you're out on the floor. Fans really don't really do much. So, yeah. so how does federal OSHA currently address heat stress in the United States? Uh, so historically and at present, um, federal OSHA relies on its general duty clause um, found at section 5A1 of the OSHA Act for those who are unfamiliar to mitigate heat stress hazards in US workplaces. And this is because OSHA hasn't yet established a dedicated standard for heat stress. Um, so the agency has to use its general duty clause to cite employers for heat stress hazards. And um, it's basically a catch-all regulation that simply requires employers to quote unquote, furnish employees with a place of employment um, free from recognized hazards that cause or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And although the general duty clause does allow OSHA to cite employers for hazards for which there's no standard on the books, it often proves difficult for OSHA to actually provide the proof needed to cite an employer under the regulation. Um, that, that's interesting. So it's yes. not a regulation, but they, they use general duty, which makes sense, but then they haven't really got evidence that the heat caused the problem or the accident. So it's tricky because OSHA actually has to show a number of different things in order to use the general duty clause effectively to cite employers. So they have to show that a condition or activity in the workplace presented a hazard. Um, they have to show that the employer or the industry actually recognized the hazard. They have to show the hazard was causing or was likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And then they have to um, prove that a feasible or an effective method existed to eliminate and mitigate the hazard. So, you know, in terms of applying all of that, it, it becomes a little bit tricky. And a lot yeah, of there's, times there's a lot of plants, you know, where it's going to be hot working. And I'm not sure that the process is oh, say plastic uh, heating type uh, situations and those type of machines or like I say, working in the bakery. Uh, so inside is just as bad as outside in some cases, uh, working in a metal uh, forging, that sort of thing. So sure. Yeah. And I mean, hot work environments, they can be both indoors and outdoors. And a lot of times manufacturing processes, for instance, um, they emit a lot of heat and they involve a lot of heat. So you can't really escape that. Um, there's ways, you know, using engineering controls and whatnot to reduce that hazard, but sometimes it does become infeasible for, for employers to totally eliminate the hazard. 
Yeah, it's uh, funny. When I worked at a city, well, you worked at a city as well, the firefighters uh, said that they would rather fight fires in the winter than because yeah. they wear all that turnout gear and SCBA. It's pretty oh, nasty yeah. going into the fire. So That's even though they come out dripping with ice. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole new hazard there in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, standard that specifically addresses heat stress hazards would be more effective um, in allowing OSHA to pinpoint violations, well, to define what a violation actually is and to mitigate those types of hazards. Um, with that said though, OSHA is in the process of developing a heat stress standard for both indoor and outdoor workplaces. And they actually issued an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking um, in 2021 announcing this. Of course, we're still waiting um, mm -hmm. for any kind of proposed regulation to hit the federal <laughs> register, but. They, they've had heat initiatives for years though, haven't they? On both the federal and state yeah, level, yes. I believe, yeah. Yeah, there's been a, a um, is it heat, rest, and shade campaign uh, for a number of years now. OSHA also launched a national emphasis program or NEP in April of last year uh, to help address occupational heat stress hazards. Um, and so far that program has included an increase in inspections, enforcement measures aimed at heat stress hazards and emphasis on outreach and education resources. Um, like providing guidance materials to employers to help them address heat stress in their own workplaces. And it focuses on targeted industries like landscaping, construction, um, certain manufacturing industries in order to, you know, target and um, focus their resources on the most high risk industries. Um, and actually OSHA just launched another NEP about two weeks ago, July 13th, that focuses on workplace hazards in warehouses uh, processing facilities, distribution centers, and certain high-risk retail establishments um, due to the significant increase in employees working in these areas over the past 15 years or so. Um, they're focusing on a number of different hazards, but heat stress is one of them. So that could help um, OSHA determine what types of indoor environments are the most at risk of heat stress hazards. So thinking that uh, the federal OSHA doesn't really have the regs out there, what states currently have regulations pertaining to heat illness prevention? Yeah, so in addition to a federal OSHA rule on the horizon, but not yet actually um, on the books, several states have already taken heat stress regulation into their own hands. Um, Arkansas, for instance, has a statute, a uh, clause within a statute that requires that employees to establish and maintain a reasonable stable temperature um, excessive humidity is forbidden. California has an actual heat illness prevention standard uh, that applies to outdoor workplaces and the requirements of the rule are triggered when the temperature of the work environment is at or above 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, California actually has also proposed an indoor heat standard to extend the same protections to those working in hot indoor environments. Um, Colorado has a heat illness protection standard for the agriculture industry. Um, that applies to both indoor and outdoor work sites where agricultural work is being performed. And in that rule, the temperature trigger is 80 degrees. So different states have different temperature thresholds. Um, so have they connected the dots in these states that heat stress does cause problems or injuries? Um, yeah, I'm assuming that the, you know, the statistics have lended themselves towards arriving at these specific temperature thresholds. And um, thankfully the state governments have taken it upon themselves to adopt these regulations. 
Um, but it's interesting to see the, the differences in the temperature thresholds across different states, depending on what workers are used to. Um, you know, workers need to acclimatize to their environment. So if you live in Nevada, you know, you're, you're gonna be probably fine with 80 degrees Fahrenheit um, and the temperature threshold might need to be a little bit higher. Whereas if you live in Oregon or Washington, it might need to be a bit lower uh, depending on where you are, so. I would, and then Arizona, haven't they had heat over 112 for, I can't remember how many consecutive days, just incredible. People can't even touch the pavement without getting burned. That's bizarre. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure how anyone can acclimatize or get used to that type of environment. Yeah, right. I, I always say you acclimate, but not, not, not yeah. that kind of temperature. So I don't know. So you, you talk about both the states that have them and ones that recently issued the regulations, right? Yep. So, you know, without going into the details of each regulation, Minnesota has a standard that applies to indoor workplaces. Oregon has two rules, one for general industry, one for agriculture. Washington actually just updated their heat stress regulations to apply year round. Previously, they applied um, between May 1st and September 30th of each year. And then um, in terms of proposed, Nevada and Maryland both have issued proposed regulations, which I haven't seen any movement on. So we'll see if those actually become finalized or not. Um, First, you have to think about what type of work are they doing. If you're landscaping and say you're spreading mulch or you're digging, I mean, it seems like it would be worse than some other type of job where maybe it's not quite so strenuous. Right. But I don't know if they take that into account. But I'm thinking back in my years uh, when I had parks employees and there was three person crews where they have a riding mower and a push mower and a weed whipper and always the least senior person would be weed whipping all day <laughs> which got to be pretty nasty but uh, trading yeah. off so you know making accommodations for people by you know supplying water and rest periods and and trading off the jobs so that that somebody's not doing the same strenuous duty all the time yeah absolutely that's actually one of the recommended um work practice controls for preventing heat illnesses to rotate the strenuous jobs when possible um, on the hottest days, limit the amount of strenuous tasks you do if possible. I mean, when your job is landscaping, pretty much everything's strenuous, I guess, but, mm -hmm. you know, to the extent feasible doing that kind of thing and uh, obviously providing lots of water. Um, there's a lot of things that employers can do in terms of best practices for heat illness prevention. Which we'll get into that a little bit. Then I think if somebody say a line worker, we've got a power outage, they're having to replace poles or they're having to reset up a transform, something, you know, where you need to have your mental faculties sure, yeah. on beam. And when you're hot and sweating and you've got the hard hat and the gear and all that, it, it, it's even more of a, a stress, adds to the stress, the heat stress, I would think. Right. Which is something I kind of alluded to before, you know, the risk of injury on the job actually goes up when you're you're suffering from heat stress because it does impair your cognitive function, your ability to focus, makes your hands sweaty. So if you're trying to grip onto something, you know, there's can make your safety goggles fog up. There's all kinds of different uh, side effects, I guess, of heat stress that can cause other injuries. Creating hazards, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of precautions do these regulations require employers to take to protect employees from heat illness? Um, so pretty much across the board, uh, the regulations that exist right now uh, in the states will require employers to account for heat stress within their overall workplace safety program. 
or actually develop a designated heat illness prevention plan as California does. Um, and uh, aside from that, providing sufficient drinking water is a big one, providing shade and rest breaks in designated areas where employers or employees are guaranteed to have an adequate amount of space to take a rest break in the shade. Um, and some regulations have specific requirements for how long those breaks need to be and how frequent they need to be. Um, in addition to shade and drinking water, um, heat stress plans, I mentioned that's, that's a requirement. Um, acclimatization, uh, some states actually require employers to come up with an acclimatization plan in addition to their heat stress plan. Um, and that's basically a plan to ensure that employees have the opportunity to get used to the hot working conditions rather than jumping right into it. They might gradually increase the amount of time they spend in the heat over a course of a seven to 14 day period. Um, yeah, so those are those are the things you pretty much see across the board. You know, and I have to take into account, I think, age of employees, uh, general health and, you know, size of the employees. I mean, that everybody is entitled to a job and a safe job, but we have to also take into account people are different in their health. Sure. And, and how much it affects them. That's that's absolutely true. And some states also take into account, you know, the, the type of personal protective equipment or PPE workers are required to wear, what clothing they have to wear, because that will affect what temperature exposure is going to cause heat stress potentially. If you're wearing heavy duty clothing like firefighters have to wear, you know, a lower temperature is going to cause symptoms of heat stress than if you were, you know, out doing landscaping work in a, in a t-shirt or something. I, they used, I don't know if they still have these, but there were some types of cooling, I imagine they do, they have cooling vests that run uh, cold water that they could wear over their, under their clothes that kind of help keep the internal temperature down a little bit. I don't know how effective they are if you're already wearing a bunch of gear, but that's one one idea, I suppose. Yeah, that is that is one method that employers can use. Um, whether or not it's as effective as, you know, shade, uh, providing shade to employees is maybe questionable, but it's certainly something that employers can implement. I know we talked a little bit about it, but when can we anticipate a federal OSHA standard and what can we expect until they do? Uh, so right now, the standard is still in the pre-rule stage and it's undergoing small business impact review. Um, so it's really impossible to say when we're going to see even a proposed standard um, hit the federal register. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be keeping my eye out for that. I mean, it could take years, honestly. These things take a while sometimes. Um, yeah. Confined space comes to mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of examples that come to mind, but I do think it's important even so for employers, even those in states that don't currently have their own um, heat stress regulations to begin preparing um, just to keep their employees safe in addition to staying in compliance. It's probably a good idea and prudent to come up with a heat stress prevention plan um, implement certain measures if your workers are you know, going to be outdoors in the heat or even indoors in hot environments, make sure there's measures implemented to provide adequate drinking water, um, rest breaks, you know, if there's no air conditioning and things like that, these, these kinds of hazards need to be considered. So uh, we've talked uh, quite a bit about how what employers can do, but do you know anything about what kind of signs of heat stress people would be exhibiting? 
Yeah, so that's important to know as well if we're gonna be protecting our workers, right? Um, so signs of heat exhaustion, which is the more serious um, type of heat stress in addition to heat stroke, that would include headache, nausea, dizziness, weakness, irritability, thirst, heavy sweating, elevated body temperature. Um, and obviously some of those are signs that you might not notice as an outsider that someone's experiencing. So this is one reason why it's incredibly important for workers to self-monitor as well for signs of heat illness um, and for supervisors to be trained uh, in how to recognize these symptoms in their employees as well so that we can make sure employees get prompt treatment and medical attention when necessary. And that would also include education of the employees of the signs and symptoms so that they right. can self-report. I, I was just going to say that's another, you know, across the board requirement among the states that have regulations on heat stress is training. Training is a big thing because yeah, we need to we need to train employees and supervisors and what to look for and how to respond when someone has heat stress. So why do you think this topic is important now? Um, so in addition to the summer season being underway and outside temperatures being at their highest, and uh, I mean, a lot of states, like I mentioned, have already passed regulations uh, to protect employees from the heat. We have a federal standard underway. Um, so there are some compliance requirements that employers are needing to take into consideration or maybe will need to take into consideration in the near future. Um, and millions of workers are in danger of these hazards, whether or not there's regulations protecting them. Um, the heat is a serious threat. Uh, we need to make sure we're doing what we can to keep people safe. It does seem like summers are getting hotter. It definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, takeaways, what what kind of, I, went, I know we talked about it, but can you kind of list out the things that employers should do to uh, help in preventing heat stress? Yeah, so um, I was mentioning the signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion. Uh, if anybody shows those kinds of signs or worse, if someone you know, actually passes out and is exhibiting signs of heat stroke, which might be like confusion, slurred speech, hot, dry skin, seizures, that kind of thing. Um, 911 should be called immediately. Uh, the person should be taken out of the hot environment, of course. Um, we can use cold compresses to help cool the person down, water and other hydrating liquids. Generally water and electrolyte beverages are recommended, nothing with too much sugar or caffeine which it can actually dehydrate a person, um, remove unnecessary clothing and like shoes and socks um, and stay with, staying with the worker until help arrives is important as well, just so you can monitor their condition. Um, these are generally the things that employers will need to do and then let the uh, EMS professionals take it from there. So what are some of the things that we can do to prevent it? In order to prevent it, um, there's certainly, you know, the obvious engineering controls like air conditioning, which some employers fortunately have the ability to implement um, and pretty much eliminate heat stress in the first place. Uh, when that's not an option, there's fans. Um, if it's an indoor work environment, reducing the amount of uh, humidity and moisture, like if the floors have a tendency to build up moisture, that's actually something that can contribute to um, heat stress. So reducing that, um, determining 
PPE or personal protective equipment that is not as heat retaining, whenever that's an option, that is a good way to help prevent heat stress in workers. Uh, you uh, mentioned something about uh, some relevant facts about heat-related heat, uh, deaths. But usually um, occurring on the first day of the job. Oh, yes. So according to OSHA, almost half of heat-related deaths occur on a worker's first day on the job, and over 70% of heat-related deaths occur during a worker's first week on the job. Um, so that's why it's critical to acclimatize employees to the heat which means allowing them to become gradually accustomed to the heat and humidity in their environment by increasing the amount of time and work they do in that environment over a seven to 14 day period. I think that was one thing we could do with seasonal parks employees. They kind of started in April. So they, it was kind mm -hmm. of a natural acclimation to getting used to the, the hot weather as they went along. Sure. But uh, like I say, working uh, jobs in the summer when we're going to school and being thrown into that bakery, I mean, it was just from, day and night. I'm just going mm -hmm. from regular temperatures to going into this hot environment. But fortunately, I was young. Yeah. And I could handle it. But I just, you know, it's really tough to, to put a new employee into that environment without thinking ahead about how it's going to impact them. So yeah. any, any final thoughts? Um, so I guess I'll just reiterate that employers who might be affected by a federal OSHA heat illness prevention standard or employers who are aware that they have heat stress hazards um, affecting their employees should probably go ahead and start to develop a heat illness prevention plan if they haven't already, just to make sure they're accounting for all of these um, heat hazards in their workplace and keeping employees safe. Okay. Well, heat stress, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke are serious hazards to employees who are exposed to hot working conditions. A comprehensive safety and health program requires assessment of how environmental factors impact the workers and provide guidelines to mitigate any negative effects. I want to thank Laura Brody from BLR. She can be reached at lbrody at blr.com. If you have any questions about this podcast, the Michigan Safety Conference, or if you'd like to be a guest or sponsor one of our podcasts, information can be found on our website at michsafetyconference.org. Thank you for listening to Safety Spectrum. This is Sheila Ide.